All right. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, so tonight I'm going to continue talking about sponsorship. And, um, you know, if you're new and you're thinking, I don't know that this is a meeting that relevant, you know, relevant for me because I'm not sponsoring. I'm just, you know, new. Um, the good news is this is for you for two reasons. One is that it'll help give you information about how you can best be sponsored. And the other is you will be a sponsor someday. <laughs> you absolutely will. In fact, sooner than later. Um, and that's the good news because this is a program that the requirement for being able to help somebody is having been helped and having had a spiritual awakening. And the extra good news is a spiritual awakening is available for every single person. This is not a unique um, experience reserved for just a few lucky folks um, because we're promised that if we do this, you know, we cannot fail, right? You cannot fail. Um, and, um, you know, just to give you like a little brief background is, um, everybody, myself included, came here um, on a losing streak, not on a winning streak. Um, we came in, came in crushed, you know, crushed. Um, they say really by a self-imposed crisis. I was living in a crisis of um, my own making. And, um, and yet I could not get myself out of this crisis. That could only come from God. And so a sponsor's job, so now I'm going to talk about sponsorship, right? Sponsor's job is to help a person form a relationship with God, help them form a relationship with the only power that can relieve them. Um, so when we left off last time, I believe we were speaking about um, what do we do when, when someone picks up? What do we do when a sponsee eats again? Um, if they do, right? Um, and in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, on page 35, on the third paragraph, it says, we're going to find out about Jim, and all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And to his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. So think about this. He's working with people and six times picking up quickly, like, like maybe would get a day, maybe we'd get a few days, maybe, right? Picking up, picking up, picking up. And, and it says here, and these are directions for sponsors. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. And the reason that I highlight this is, um, you know, Sometimes we hear, um, well, you picked up, you must not want it. You must not want it enough, or you're not willing, or you're not desperate. You're not desperate enough. So I can't help you until you're desperate enough. And sometimes that's true, but we don't know that right off the bat. So it says we worked with them, right? And I love this because it says we worked with him, meaning He's working too, and I'm working. 
and not working on him. We're not surgeons, right? So we're not gonna like, you know, somebody's gonna say, well, what happened? And I'm gonna say, oh, well, this is exactly what happened. I know exactly what, what happened. But we work- Boys in your background. Is it loud? I don't think there's any, uh, no okay, one can now it's stopped. Okay. It might've been the dog walking. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So um, we, we don't work on somebody. We don't like have them lay down and we diagnose exactly what happened, but we work together. So I have to say too, when, when someone picks up, when a sponsee picks up and you're a sponsor, it is frustrating, no doubt. And what happens oftentimes is the sponsor will say, I must be doing something wrong, right? I must be doing something wrong. Or here's sometimes what happens too is it's a bad reflection on me, right? People worry, what are others going to think of me as a sponsor? And if that's a thought that crossed your mind when a sponsee picks up, you're not alone in that. I think a lot of people have those thoughts. We worry about ourselves. And that's, self, by the way, that's self-centered fear. And that's self-centered thinking because that's making their recovery all about you. And um, so when that happens, right, as a sponsor, we ask God's forgiveness, first of all, for making it about ourselves. And what I would suggest is, yes, you ask the person, you know, to do some work and carefully review what had happened. Um, but I also say it's important to take it to God, to take it into prayer, the sponsor and the sponsee, to see what it is, to see how we can best be helpful. And we carefully review what happened. And so... Um, you know, what I think is important to keep in mind too, is if I know that I am powerless to my disease, then I am certainly powerless to a sponsee's disease. So I, I don't have the power to recover somebody. Right. Um, so, it, so I would say, so when someone picks up, yes, it's frustrating but this is where we, we roll up our sleeves and we get in there and we do the work together. And it says, you know, that um, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. So what do we do for someone who picks up? We carefully go over what happened, you know, um, and we help them enlarge and perfect their spiritual life. That's our job. Um, you know, on page 43, it says once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Okay, and on page 98, it says burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. 
And then on page 99, it says, remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. So my job as a sponsor, your job as a sponsor, is to help the sponsee find and cultivate their relationship with God. And, you know, sponsors are not the higher power, but we are people who have a relationship with our own loving creator, right? And, and what I can offer, what you can offer, is your experience in how you found this relationship and the steps you took to cultivate it. And remember, the defense comes from God, not from you, not from fear of being dropped, right? Not from, um, you know, having an excellent sponsor, um, but it, but it really comes from God. And I'd say like part of that kind of like, if you're worried like, oh no, I won't be able to make sure that people recover. That's right. You won't be able to make sure people recover. So take a deep breath, like, great. Cause that's not your responsibility. Um, okay. Now in the chapter, working with others on page 89 says, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. So if we think about this immunity, this immunization that we're after, you know, it's like an injection that keeps us very close with the disease. When we work with others who are suffering, we learn more and more about this disease. And I also learn more and more about the remedy for this disease, about the solution. You know, we're also to remember that people are sick. It says here, remember they're very ill. They're sick, they're not bad, and they're not weak, and they're not beneath you, right? So we don't treat people who are in the food, who are struggling in the food as less than us. They're not, you know, and so, um, you know, which is why it says like we offer them friendship and fellowship because they're certainly worthy of our friendship and our fellowship, whether they're eating or not, whether they're eating or not, we are, we are humans, we are people. You know, so now it's gonna talk about when working with a man and his family and says, you should not, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do, but urge upon a man's family that he has been a very sick person and should be treated accordingly. You should warn against arousing resentment or jealousy. You should point out that his defects of character are not gonna disappear overnight. Show them that he has entered upon a period of growth and ask them to remember that when they are impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. If you've been successful in solving your own domestic problems, 
tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. So while I'm not having conversations necessarily with family members of a sponsee, I am able to share with my sponsee my own struggles and how and how I used spiritual principles to help remedy these. And you know, and so I tell them how that was accomplished without criticizing. I talk from my own experience saying when I was in this circumstance, what I found most helpful was and again, I'm not making it up, but I'm pointing right to whatever it, it principles were from the book to help me. Um, and, and so we do this rather than criticize. And when it says, you know, we don't participate in their quarrels. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if a sponsee has an issue with her husband or her kids, I'm not meddling in their family fights by taking her side. So if the sponsee says to you, you know, my husband did X, Y, and Z, or my daughter did X, Y, and Z, we're not to say that bum, those lousy kids, how dare they? You're right. They're terrible, right? We're actually supposed to help them see it from an entirely different angle. We're supposed to help illuminate for them how to see it from another perspective. You know, and what we do is we look at the directions and the steps. We examine the defects and depending on where they are in the steps, we may talk about their relationship ideals. You know, their defects are not going to disappear overnight. And this is where I share my own experiences. I'll share some of the ways I've used and continue to use the steps. But I think it's crucial that we focus on the blessed miracle it says of our sobriety. So when a sponsee is having an issue and they're like, I'm so upset at so-and-so, you know, I can't believe they did this. I might say, you know, let's stop for a minute. You didn't eat over this? And they'll be like, no, I didn't. I'm like, okay, so let's first start off with, with like a prayer of gratitude for God because you have now walked through in an uncomfortable, difficult situation without eating. And I don't know about you, but in my past, every single problem pointed me to the only solution I could think of then. It always led to the food. Whether it was the dog snails tapping across the floor, right? Or, you know, my boss yelling at me. Or like it didn't matter every single thing or a death. Everything always pointing me right back to the food. So I would remind the person when they're having troubles, like, let's take a moment and be grateful for the blessed miracle of your food sobriety. Um, you know, and always when people come to us with problems, they should be encouraged to go to God. I may share my specific prayers. That is often what I do. When a sponsee is telling me about a problem that they're having, I say, oh, interestingly enough, I have a good prayer for that, right? And, and then I encourage them to begin praying to a God that we are told can be our companion. 
And so we're not the problem solvers. That's not our job as a sponsee, as a sponsor. But it's always to remind your sponsee to go to God, to first. And so I would ask my sponsee when they call me with the problem, did you pray? Let's start with prayer. Let's start with prayer. Um, you know, this transformation is the work of changing hearts. And, and so I'd say also, this is telling me that as a sponsor, if I'm sharing how I use spiritual principles to work through my difficulties, then I must be confiding an awful lot with my sponsees, which to me sounds a lot like a friendship, right? So we're revealing, we're sharing a lot of information with one another. And, you know, and I would say, how can I help someone change if I'm reserving things about myself? If he's not interested in your solution, now we're told if someone's not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. And this he may do after he gets hurt some more. Okay. How do you know if someone doesn't want your solution? Is it just because they eat? Nope, not necessarily. What I would say, not so much if they're struggling with the food, but if they're constantly debating. If every suggestion you make, they've got a reason why that can't work for them. You know, and, and if they argue about everything that you kind of suggest, if someone doesn't follow through with the work, if you, if you give them something to do and they don't do it, they don't call you, right? They miss a lot of appointments with you. Or they actually say, you yeah, know, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not willing to do that. Okay. That's when you know. That means that they're not interested in my solution in your solution. If what you're offering, they're not interested in doing, that's an indication that they're not interested in your solution. And so that's when we could say to a person, you know what, I, you're not willing to go to any length and I'm told, right? Can't, can't help you if you're not willing to go to any length. It's in the directions. It's directions that I follow. Okay, so here we're told too, we have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go at that. So I think this is like such great direction because oftentimes people stop doing it and they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Or I, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do this anymore. And we're not supposed to get mad at them and hang up and say, well, forget it. I wasted all my time working with you. You know, I spent hours with you in the doctor's opinion and in working with others. And, 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 and now you're just dropping me. You know, you're not doing it and you get mad and hang up. No, mm -mm. we're actually supposed to be friendly, even more so. And think about it, you know, like this, if we really believe that this person has what we have and will require this solution, we wanna be an open door. We wanna be a welcome mat. 
we want to be, you know, I'd say, I don't want to be a doormat, right, where they can just dump their problems and not follow through and wipe their feet on me. I want to be a welcome mat. I want to have the light on so that if they decide that they want to do this, they can come back without having to like, you know, crawl on their knees, right? They don't have to like come back groveling. Okay, page 102 says your job. So now we're gonna find out what's our job is to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. So I think for someone like me, what's the most sordid spots on earth? Well, I didn't hang out in bars eating, but I hung out, you know, in all sorts of places where the food was. So I don't have to hide and stay away from all sorts of social and, and events where there's food. I can go where any free person goes. As long as I'm spiritually fit, I can go to those places. And my motive, right, is to be helpful. That is my motive. And if I show up that way, then I'm told that I'm going to be kept unharmed, right? If I show up to all events looking for how I'm going to be useful, then I'm promised, you know, and when I think about harmed, I'm not talking about going in, in, you know, I know that the, al the alcoholics, right, they often did go to places that were a lot more frightening. And what I would say, you know, for me, those unharmed places were places where there was a lot of food, right? Those, those were the sorted places and I can go there unharmed. Um, life will take on new meaning, right? So when we sponsor people, life gets new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So when I say, you know, in the beginning, people are like, I'm afraid to sponsor, right? People, sometimes they say, I'm really afraid to sponsor. And we hear a lot of times, I'd be afraid not to sponsor, which is true. Because if we're told the only way you can have immunity is to sponsor, right, is to help others, then to not do it is putting yourself in a dangerous position. However, I have to tell you, I no longer do it because I'm afraid that I'm going to pick up if I don't. This is the rewiring of the heart because I come to a spot where I want to do it, where we crave doing it, where we want nothing more than to help, where we have conversations with each other and say, you know what? I don't have anybody in steps one. I'm, I, I need a new person. And it's not because I need a new person because I'm afraid I'm going to eat again, but because I know that that is my purpose. I know that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And we feel that way. And it really is our greatest joy. It becomes the greatest joy 
to help other people. And what's amazing is, is that that experience, like I said, is not unique to me. I've seen it happen again and again, where a sponsee recovers and they get passionate about helping other people. They're on fire to help other people. You can see it in healthy meetings where people are falling all over each other, sharing, I'm recovered and I can take 10 steps. I'm recovered and I'm available to sponsor. I'm recovered and I can, you know, listen to someone's third step. I mean, that's an indication we're doing it because we don't want to miss it. And we do get a host of friends. This is an incredible, you know, it's an incredible gift that happens. Um, it becomes the bright spot of our lives. So we're also told here, don't start as an evangelist or reformer. Because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. Isn't that awesome? We have the unique set of qualifications. I love that. Now what it makes me think of is that all of the things that I did and suffered in the disease I think of it today as it was my on-the-job training, right? I was getting ready. I was gathering up the exact set of experiences that was going to make me precisely helpful for a specific person I might not have yet met. Every one of my problems, right, in God's hands now becomes a great treasure, becomes like our golden ticket to help other people. And we're not another bozo on the bus, by the way. You know, we're not told we're another bozo on the bus. We're told that we're uniquely useful. I love that. God made each of us very different with our own beautiful, sometimes painful set of experiences that we can be specially useful for other people. So if we're like that, then we cooperate. We cooperate and we don't criticize. Who should we cooperate with and not criticize? The people that are coming to us who we're uniquely qualified to help. So we don't criticize them. We want to help them. To be helpful is our only aim. This is one of the best parts of the steps. It's truly become, for me, it's become my passion. And I found out like it was what I was always meant to do. You know, I, I would say like everybody's got their thing growing up. I always wanted to have a thing that I was good at, you know, my special gift, my special talent. And, and all of us have the ability to have this special gift and special talent. The only thing that makes us better at giving this gift and like fine tuning this talent is repeated practice over and over and over again. Not memorization of passages, not listening to the best speakers in the world, right? Not like knowing dates and quotes and all. Those are awesome. But the knowledge will grow with practice. I know the book more as each person I work with, I learn it more and more. I find it improves over time. And, you know, and so now it's like, 
my qualification, the very thing that I thought was the worst thing in the world, having this disease at one time I thought was the worst thing in the world, turned out to be a glorious gift for me because it allowed me to meet God. I don't know, you know, for a woman like me, I don't know that I would have had that desire, that passion to have a relationship with God if I didn't have a necessity to have a relationship with God. It came for me, it was born of necessity from this disease. And then that's what I get to share with other people. So I can't regret the past and I can't shut, I don't wanna shut the door on it. Why would I wanna shut the door on it when it makes me uniquely useful for another person, right? And so since I love that idea of, of not shutting the door on it, I just wanna read something. It's one of my favorite poems. It's um, by Sam Shoemaker. It's called, I Stand at the Door. I'm just gonna read a little bit of it. Um, it says, I stand at the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand at the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. And I'm gonna leave at that point. The poem is longer, but I, I just wanna say for, for those of you looking to sponsor, that's our job, to stand at the door. Thanks, with that I'll pass.